welcome to the Guitar Omni Podcast. I'm Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Each episode, we'll chat with a featured guest from the classical guitar world. Candid conversations, unique experiences, and career observations from the people who best know the guitar. This is your master class in life and the guitar. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or see Carl Woolwind Guitarist on Facebook. So our guest is Rupert Boyd. He's an Australian guitarist who's now living in New York. How are you doing, Rupert? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing? I am I am fine. Happy to have you here. Thanks for reaching out and getting in touch with me. And it's it's funny because um you know, it's 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 starting to happen more that that people are asking me to be on the podcast. And I think it's a lot of fun. That's really cool. Um, so <laughs> thanks, thanks is, for reaching yeah, out, no, getting in touch and everything. Well, thank, um, thanks so, so much for having me. Yeah. So so you're in New York. What, That's what, right. What, yeah. What 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 took you there when you you studied at Manhattan, I believe? A million years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I. It's funny, so I, I'm obviously, people probably can tell from my accent, not from around these parts. I, did, I grew up in Australia, but I've, I've been in New York for, it's what, 18, and, 18 years now. Okay, yeah. I've been forever. Practically um, a native. Well, that, people do say that once you've been here for 10 years, you can call sure. yourself a local. Yeah. And, and one of the things I love most about New York is it's something like 45% of people living here were born outside of the United of course. States. Yeah. So yeah, it's just yeah. this incredibly multicultural place and it's very easy to fit in no matter where you come from. Yeah. Did, did you always find it that way when, when, when you first moved there or was it, was there a little bit of culture shock going on and had to figure out your way around? It's, it was actually really funny. I was much more surprised by how similar things were than how different they were. Interesting. And so, yeah, I, I came here, what, I was 22 years old at the time. Okay. I had never left Australia before, and I didn't know a single person in North America. <laughs> I had actually, I'd met David Leisner, who I was coming to study with. I'd met okay. him for like a few hours in oh when gosh. he was on tour in Australia. But that's it. And I remember this feeling of, of getting off the plane and arriving in New York City. And for some reason, I looked through a white page. It's just, I think maybe just to torture myself to be like, I don't know anybody's name. Wow. Like <laughs> now, did you, yeah. did you look to see if there were anybody named Boyd in the, in the white pages? I, I didn't. There's, there's still time. But <laughs> <laughs> I, back, back, in the, back in the day of, of the phone books, I actually, I used to do that whenever I would travel because my, my name is so unusual. I'd be like, oh, I wonder if there's anybody named Baldwin here, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Boyd is not all that common, but there are some right. others around. So I do bump sure. into them from time to time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I came and I literally had a suitcase and a guitar. And Amazing. Didn't know anybody. I was, you know, I was coming to study. So yeah. I, it wasn't just, I didn't just like jump on a one-way flight with no plans. <laughs> but, but yeah, I came to study and I thought I would be here for one year, maybe two years if oh, I could really? work out okay. the financing. Yeah, I had, yeah. Sort of, I had sort of no intention really of, of sort of staying forever. Well, now look at um, you. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And, and now in 18 years later, I do, I own an apartment and I have an American <laughs> wife and together we have an American-born son who's an American citizen. So it is feeling a little more like this is home and you can't yeah. leave very easily. 
<laughs> well, I, I hope that's okay with you because <laughs> we're we're happy to have you. <laughs> well, thanks so much. And and I have to say, like New York is still even after eighteen years, it is just such a great place to be. It's, yeah, it's been a I guess a challenging past couple of years, but it's still sure. it's still there's nowhere else I would rather be. It's just what part of town every, do you live in? We're in Manhattan, in Upper oh, Manhattan. Wow. Yeah, so we're up, up in up in Washington Heights. Nice. Pretty close to the George Washington Bridge for anybody who uh -huh. drives into town. Very cool. Yeah, and certainly have, have explored this neighborhood yeah. a lot in the past couple of years. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had on, no choice. <laughs> on foot, yes. I've been clocking up my 10,000 steps a day. And, and <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so... You, you you went there to study with with David at, at Manhattan. Um, as it was that was that for a master's degree or it, um... that was the master's degree. Yes, yeah. so okay. I, I did my undergraduate degree in Australia um, okay. with a, a brilliant guitarist and teacher called Timothy Kane. Oh yeah, yeah, um, I know that name. Sure. Yeah, and a lot of your listeners will know Tim Kane. He recorded a duo album with John Williams, right? Called yeah. Mantis and the Moon years ago. Um, but yeah, and he was just, uh, he is a brilliant guitarist, yeah. you know, wonderful person, incredibly knowledgeable, incredibly sort of just warm, sort of really kind person. And so I studied with him for like the last two years of high school and then the four year okay. undergraduate degree. Right. Um, and then I think at the end of that, he sort of looked at me and said, you know, it's great having you here, but you should really you know, fly onto greener pastures or whatever the expression is. <laughs> he, had, he had suggested that I sort of look around for, for someone to study with. Specifically um, in the states, or, or do... no, and 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 he, I, I mean, he didn't, he didn't like shove me out. He said, "You're welcome to keep <laughs> studying here," but he said, "You know, after six years, I think, I think you would do well by finding a new teacher." Yeah, um, and and you know, I, I guess I sort of thought around, and I, I, he, he was teaching in Canberra, which is where I grew up, so I'd sort of okay. never lived anywhere else. And I loved Melbourne in Australia. I'd always I thought about studying there for my undergraduate degree. Right. Um, but then sort of started thinking about traveling overseas. And even though I'd never left Australia before, New York was just somewhere that had always been in my conscience. Yeah. Sort of many of my great idols had lived here, people like John sure. Lennon and Stanley Kubrick and Bob Dylan. Yeah. And, you know, just having watched many films as a kid, like New York is yeah. so central. <laughs> I mean, we probably shouldn't mention him by name anymore, but like those Woody Allen films. Oh, Manhattan right, of course, and, yeah. Just that that opening scene of Manhattan is just yeah. just such a beautiful looking city and the mm -hmm. energy and the excitement. So, so I sort of thought, you know, New York would be such a great place to study, yeah. and sort of coincidentally at the same time picked up a CD by David Leisner, his uh, recording of the Villa Lobos. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, complete solo works, and sort of loved his playing and read a little bit more about him and sort of learned that he had developed this whole new technique in how to play the guitar. And so all these things just kind of were going through my head as I was finishing up my undergraduate degree, and you know, I thought, oh, maybe I'll, let's see, let's see if I can make this work. And because uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing is, American universities for anybody outside of the states are incredibly expensive. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're they're, um, they're not cheap for people in the United well, States either. Exactly. But, yeah, they're, they're but I think yeah, you get nothing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think here there is just that sort of expectation that you pay for it. Whereas right. coming from Australia, as an Australian right. citizen, my entire undergraduate degree right. cost about like twelve thousand US dollars for yeah. all four years. Amazing. And that's on a government loan that I only have to pay back once I start making money over a certain threshold in Australia or out, as a much higher yeah. threshold outside of yeah. Australia. 
So it's, all, so it's almost yeah. as if other places in the world figured out that uh, it's, it's a good thing to have an educated populace and to take care of them and, and these, these sorts of things, you know, and, and we're, we're still waiting to, to figure that out here, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's much more of a, it's a commodity here. And, yeah, and you, and you pay for is, it. And, yeah. Yes. Um, you know, then there are so many great things about the United States too. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. No, <laughs> just we, we should make this very clear. Yes, <laughs> yeah. we love it here. <laughs> but yeah, so I so I sort of managed to get. I knew I got a sort of very generous scholarship from Manhattan School of Music, and knew I had enough funding to be here for one year. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then at the end of the first year, sort of managed to scrounge around enough money to be here for the second year. Um, and then sort of that was ending, and I was really just didn't know what what yeah. to do. Were you able to finish a degree in, in the two years there? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, so I did the Masters of Music, which is a, right. normally a two-year degree. Yep. Um, and the great thing as an international student, if you complete a degree in the US, you can then get a one-year working visa. Okay. So I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll just like hang out in New York, work for a year, see where the tides take me. Right. And then I was sitting down eating a bagel and drinking a cup of coffee and reading a newspaper, like a physical newspaper. This is 18 years ago. <laughs> and just coincidentally, like I must've been just like flicking through and coincidentally came across an article that someone had just given the Yale School of Music $100 million. Oh my. An, an anonymous donor and they were gonna make tuition free for, for the following oh, year. Yeah, I remember when that happened, sure, yeah, yeah. Yes, yep. and so I think it was that day I put in an application to go to Yale. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know Ben? I had, I had, I, no, I'd, I'd only seen him give a masterclass. Okay. And, you know, as everyone who knows Ben or has oh, seen him give a masterclass, he's, yeah. he's incredible. He's full of energy, full of life. Yeah. Um, and I thought, wow, you know, to continue my studies un under, under Ben without having to pay millions yeah. of dollars for it would be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I put in the application and really fortunately sort of got in a few months later. And so I went, went to Yale and did an artist diploma degree for okay. two years. Excellent. Fantastic. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then after that, um, came back to New York and have been living the freelance classical guitarist lifestyle ever since. Yeah. And, and, and I think, I think that's New York is one of the places where it's, it's possible to do that. Right. And actually like kind of make a living. <laughs> it's well, it's a double-edged sword. Cause on the one hand, it's so expensive to be here. Yeah. It's, it's a really tough city to live in. Um, but there are the opportunities, very yeah. much so. But then also there's the competition too. There's a lot of sure. fantastic players and a lot of very sort of um, eager pe people. Yeah. You know, <laughs> pe every, every, everybody wants a gig in New York. So it's, sure. it's also a tough do, city do you, in that respect. Do you, do you kind of consider it, is, is it saturated or do you think there's just so many people there? I mean, there's, there's like, what, 20 million people in New York now? The state is 20 million. The state New, is 20 million, okay. Yeah, New York City, like the five boroughs, I think it's like eight and a half or nine million oh, people. Okay, okay. Which is funny because Australia, the entire country is like 24 million people. <laughs> and, and Australia geographically is like 85% the size of the United States. Right. And then you come out. <laughs> pretty spread out, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 it, and I always think about this. Manhattan's, what, four miles wide, if that, right. and like 11 miles long, and it's got 2 million people living in it. <laughs> it, is, it is crazy just how it's dense. Probably a lot, a lot noisier, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, do you think, do, do you feel like... I mean, are there enough guitarists there, or is is there is there room for other people to move there and and, and do it? I always I always thought with that kind of density of population, you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be more work than there are people to do the work. But maybe I'm I'm not not right about that. 
Well, it is funny. I guess I was always a little surprised. I was thinking that with a city of 9 million people, there would be a huge amount of classical guitarists. Yeah. And there are, there are a lot of us, but I think there are other parts of the country that have more. Really? Certainly. I mean, I always hear these stories of like Arizona and San Francisco yeah. and like how many like, sure. just wonderful oh, classical yeah, guitarists yeah, yeah. are living there. Yeah. And in New York, there is a lot of us, but it, it seems that like these smaller cities have about the same amount. Right, right. So by, by sort of population density, <laughs> it's a probably, probably less. Yeah. And then these days, like, you know, since you're not in school or anything, how, how often are you running into all of these other, other guitarists in New York? Is that, is, that, is that a common thing or is it just every once in a while you, you run into them like at concerts and whatnot? It, it is funny. Like on the one hand, New York is like, it feels to me like the world's largest village. But okay. you, certainly, I mean, the past two years have it's like screwed everything up, obviously. Right. <laughs> but, but sort of pre, pre-pandemic, I couldn't go a day without just walking down the street and bumping into someone. And, Amazing. And, yeah. and usually it'd be someone I hadn't seen in 10 years. Okay. So just kind of like you're just walking down <laughs> the street. It's like, oh, you know, hey, Bob, how's it going? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and even, even yesterday I was texting a friend and it turned out we're both on the same subway. We're like in different cars <laughs> of the subway. It's like... This, this stuff must happen like all the time. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And so what, what's, what's, the, what's the scene like for you professionally? I mean, I, I imagine you're doing some teaching, doing a lot of gigging. I know you play concerts and whatnot. Um, so how, how, does, how does that all play out for you in, in, in your work life? Yeah, so I really fit into the freelance classical guitarist in that do sort of all the above. Yeah. Um, generally, my income has always been guitar in hand, whether that being teaching, uh, yeah. playing gigs, or playing concerts. Um, in recent years, I've also, with my wife, started up a concert series. Oh, and so cool. we've been, yeah, we've been the artistic directors of that. Um, and so that's sort of the only like real like work work that I would do that <laughs> wasn't actually sort of with guitar in hand, but still obviously right. music related. Sure, sure. And that, I mean, that's been a really like rewarding experience. It's, huh. it's a huge amount of work. Yeah. And it's, it's really sort of interesting being on the other side of it because yeah. as a performer, you know, you go and you meet the presenter and, and all that, but sort of realizing how much goes on behind the scenes to, sure. to you know, just organize the dates or make sure that an audience shows up, do publicity, yeah. all that stuff. Um, yeah. And, and, but it's been a really sort of a fun experience. It's, predominantly just classical and chamber music okay. and some sort of classical adjacent acts um okay. we've had it's yeah so it's not not focused on the guitar by any means but sort of just all classical music mm-hmm. and it's actually we based our series on one in albuquerque new mexico and okay. that's called chatter abq and it's been running for 12 or 13 years or so um and their series is every sunday morning 50 weeks of the year Wow. Yes. And so we are you doing that? We are doing every Sunday morning, um, but we're doing just sort of 10 weeks in the spring, 10 weeks okay. in the fall. Yeah. Still um, that's a that's a tremendous amount of work. Yeah. It it is, yes. And we we had 49 shows um at this wow. wonderful venue on Bleecker Street in downtown Manhattan. 49 shows, we were like literally days away from our 50th show basically uh-huh. on this date two years ago when right. everything mm-hmm. sort of took, a, took a, a general pause for a while. But we, <laughs> we resumed last fall with indoor concerts. We did a few things last year, so with some outdoor performances. Right. But um, 
we resumed at a new venue in Columbus Circle last fall and are gearing up to do another 10-week season this spring. Great. Again, at this, at this yeah, museum yeah. in Columbus Circle. Yeah, and, and there and is are you something... Bringing, bringing people in from all over the world? Um, at this stage, it's mostly musicians based in New York City or okay. ones who are traveling through okay. mostly um, sort of budgeting constraints. Sure. Yeah, yeah. We, are, 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 is, is there a particular focus for the concert series in terms of programming and, and, and types of music that you're, you're presenting? No, and we try and do a wide variety. Like everything that we do, though, is, is classical or we do have some sort of classical adjacent sort right. of groups. Um, but we always yeah, try and have it be something that if people love classical chamber music, they will love our concerts. Yeah. Oh, cool. And, and in terms of like New York being saturated with musicians, sure. we've, we've, now, we've now had like 65 of these gather concerts and we haven't yet repeated a, uh, an ensemble. And it's all been mostly local New it's, York, or yeah, exactly. New York, New York-based artists or people who are passing tremendous. through. Tremendous, that's tremendous, amazing. And Sunday mornings, like what, what, what time do you do a con do the concerts on Sunday mornings? We're doing them at eleven a.m. Okay, and so and the concert is just one hour in duration. Perfect. Um, it's mostly music, but we also do have a little storytelling component in the middle. Oh, cool. Yeah, so we get um, a lot of Moth Story Slam winners. I don't know okay. if you know the Moth. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. On NPR, yeah, so we get, yeah, yeah. yeah, a lot of the Moth Story Slam winners and, and sort of some of their friends, and they'll come in and do like a five to seven minute story. And do you with, tie with, that together with the, with the programming and the music? We generally don't coordinate okay. it in advance. Okay. No. Um, but it is really interesting because rather than having any kind of intermission, like the storytelling sure. is just one way of sort of making two halves to the musical yeah, performance. Sure. Um, but yeah, so, so the music's normally like 15 to 20 minutes, then the story component, telling component. And then we do, and we borrowed this from the series in Albuquerque, we do a two minute celebration of silence. Oh, and it literally, it literally is that. It's everybody sits in silence for two minutes. And it's a really interesting experience because you find Cage would that. Love you. Well, it's very <laughs> similar to his piece. And it's kind of perfect because two minutes is just long enough to, for things to start getting a bit awkward. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go too long into that awkward phase, but everyone yeah. starts to be like, how long is this going for? And yeah. then we usually have the musicians sitting on stage for that. And at the oh, end fantastic. of two minutes, there'll be a little cue and they'll start to play again. And I love it. Every, yeah, and everybody listens just with this different yeah. intent after those two minutes. Both of there's been the storytelling, but then also this silence. You just can yeah. feel like, you know, that proverbial, the pin can drop feeling. That sure, sure. Everybody's just sitting there on the edge of their seats listening to this music. And it's, it's a really special experience. That's really, that's, yeah. that's a great idea. I think, I think we should adopt that like on a, on a large scale, you know, like everybody just sits still for two minutes. Don't say anything, be quiet, get ready to listen. You know, that's, they, that's, that's a very cool concept. I love it. Yeah, I also went to an interesting concert um, at the Park Avenue Armory. It's it's like the second largest indoor space in New York City. Wow. But they have um, some really interesting programming. And in a few years ago, they had Marina Abramovich had okay. put in this installation with uh, Igor Levitt playing the Goldberg Variations. Okay. And it started out that everyone was invited to wear noise-canceling headphones for 30 minutes, and everybody had their cell phones confiscated and put in lockers. Wow. And so we, we sat there for 30 minutes in complete silence and like sort of dim lighting and then listened to the entire Goldberg Variations. Oh, wow. Huh. It was really cool. I, 
I do yeah. recall quite a few members of the audience falling asleep. Falling asleep, yeah, of course. <laughs> Which so, is okay, yeah. you know, that's it was, right. Totally fine. It's, it's, it's the city that never sleeps, and so when you right. get an opportunity... People were sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's great, yeah. Well, I, 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 especially, you know, in, in New York, I mean, silence is probably a rare commodity for, for people, and, and, you know, to, as, a, as a preparation for, for listening deeply, I think that's... Uh, what a what a thing! What a great idea! It is, and and it's so simple you should... too. I mean, like what it's you know this is not complicated stuff, but somebody had to think about it. You know, I think it's Ooh. great. Yeah, funny you should mention that. It's like similar to the John Cage idea. All the venues we've ever had gather in, you can hear the subway rumble by. Amazing. You know, so, and it is funny, like you, you wouldn't necessarily notice it if, if there's a string quartet playing really loudly, but if you're right. all sitting there yeah. in silence, it's like oh wow, that's the Q train going by. Amazing. <laughs> you can't get away from it. So what's what's the venue like for your, your concert series there? So it's the Museum of Art and Design in Columbus okay. Circle. And they have this really nice little theater in the basement. Yeah. Um, can seat about 150 people. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And so and we just started there last fall. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and, and we're beginning up again next month. But yeah, it's really nice. I mean, it's this incredible museum that even like longtime New Yorkers have walked by but never been into. Often. Sure, you know, um, I imagine I imagine New York's just littered with places like that. It, you know, just it little, is, and little spaces tucked away that people, you know, just don't know they're there, and they walk by them every single day, and you're like, oh yeah, that's, there it is. Exactly, and with with Mad, they call it Mad. You walk into Mad Museum, it's this sort of beautiful entranceway, and you go down these lovely stairs, and you just find this charming little theater in the basement. Yeah. That you know, outside there's thousands of tourists walking by who would right. have sort of no idea about it. Yeah, oh, that's and, that's great. That is so. And cool. that's you know, I'm tying it back into what you asked me at the very beginning. But like, even being in, even being in New York for 18 years, you can just walk down a street that you've sure. never walked down, never paid attention to, and you can find really cool things. And yeah, and that's why I just still have this just love for New York City, this enthusiasm yeah. and and love just sort of walking around town and exploring, even even still. Yeah, that's that's great. So, you know, so you you've been working as as a freelance guitarist and 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 teaching and performing and doing gigs and whatnot. So, what prompted you to say, hey, I think I think I'd like to start a concert series too? Because I'm I'm obviously not working hard enough, and, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm bored living in the greatest city in the world. So I, I just I think I'll I think I'll create a concert series. I mean, how did how did that happen for you? Well, I should throw into the mix too. Um, my wife and I had a son around about the time that we started the concert also, series. Yeah, you were really bored. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess we just sort of uh, didn't want to have any free time ever. And more sleep. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I guess I guess when we really have to pay so much tribute to the concert series in, in Albuquerque, in New Mexico, okay. and, and Laura, my wife, she's a cellist, and she had okay. been playing on the series in Albuquerque. She normally goes there half a dozen times a year, and oh, I've played there a number of times. And we just really loved this sense of community to that abroad. Yeah, yeah. And so without sort of bringing it into religious terms, the, the idea is that it's an alternative to church. Yeah. We go to church, so we go to this concert experience, and the music is the religion. And there's the music, there's the storytelling, the silence, and it's over by noon. And you can go off and go and have brunch or go yeah. off to Central Park just across the road. But in Albuquerque, they have the 50 concerts a year, and they sell out every single show. And, and often they're doing like way out there new avant-garde music. And you yeah. have this audience that just keeps coming week after week. I think because they love the music, but they also yeah. love the sense of community. 
Sure. And as they do in Albuquerque and as we do on our series, we serve coffee and pastries before the show. So okay. we open the doors half an hour early, people come in, drink a cup of coffee, chat. It was, you know, obviously a little bit more complicated with the pandemic and masks and things. Sure. But but before that, we we did see this sort of regular group of people and and they came from all walks of life. We had young and old people, tourists, people who had been born in New York City and living there in their entire lives. <laughs> and they would all come. And the people who did come week after week started to chat to each other. And we wow. could we did notice that they would come oh, and they would say so hi to cool. each other each week. Yeah. And so and and so on the one hand, we did present like literally some of New York's best classical musicians. We really felt like the music was absolutely top level, but we were also creating this sense of community. Yeah. And and that's been something sort of, you know, that sort of extra musical thing that we've really cherished. And and so that's what's really prompted us to to keep going, even though we're both sort of exhausted. So you know, <laughs> forgive me if I fall asleep during this interview. <laughs> so yeah, I guess you you just you, you because you had, had been um you had been part of the experience in Albuquerque that inspired you to, to, to exactly that. yes yes oh, yeah. um, my wife some years ago was like we really need to start this up in New York yeah. um, and and New York has you know it has a billion concerts every day of course and yeah. any single night you can go to the Met Opera you can go to Carnegie Hall yeah. you can go to Brooklyn and see whatever wild jazz or avant-garde yeah. classical music you want to see but generally all those things happen in the evenings right there's not right, right. much that happens on a Sunday morning yeah. Um, and, and also, I think that goes to our benefit of being able to get really top level musicians that oh, often sure. they're, all, right. they're, off, they're, they're all booked on Saturday right. night. But, you know, <laughs> they might be a get, little tired. But, exactly. Know. If we could convince them to get out of bed and be on stage by 11 a.m. <laughs> That's great. Actually, yeah. where, we, where we first started it, and this must have been 2017, so five years ago this month, our very first concert, we started at 10.30 and we didn't think this through. We started the day of daylight saving. Oh no! So we we lost an hour's sleep. Concert started at ten thirty. We were up the night before, like working out all those last minute logistics and printing programs, and got like two hours sleep. And then oh, there at like ten thirty in the morning, bleary eyed. But we do serve coffee, so it's like nice. you drink a few cups of coffee, you'll be you'll be fine. <laughs> and did you have an audience for the first one? We did, we did, and and Good. like New York is is so challenging because, like I say, like people can go off. Right. Like last night, people could have gone to see Yo Yo Ma play at Carnegie Hall. Oh my gosh! Um, even though we have these really top level classical musicians, they can't. No, no one can compete with Yo Yo Ma. You can't do it all. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and and it is really tapping, trying to tap into the New York market is yeah. is has been a challenge, but um. Uh, like our former venue and our current venue, the capacity is about 150. Yeah. So even if we get sort of 50, 60, or typically our audience is somewhere between 50 and 100. Yeah. Um, and that feels really great. Yeah. I think yeah, for, even... for chamber music, that's perfect. You know, that's what you want, you know, and for yes. guitar. I mean, I, I like, yeah, I, I love that idea for, for guitar. You know, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't want to play big rooms. I want to play small rooms where people can really hear everything, you know? Exactly, and and even even for like the string quartets, we have these people coming along saying, "I've heard them play like only in massive halls," and here right. I am, ten feet away. And yeah, fantastic. It is so different to you know literally be able to see what is it, the whites of their eyes, and <laughs> <laughs> very cool. So you mentioned your wife; she's a cellist, and you guys have a, a duo. We do, yes. And, yeah, and... we're for better or for worse, we're called Boyd Meets Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we're, 
we are we're always sort of wondering if we should change the name, given that <laughs> we're we're not getting any younger, as it were. Right. <laughs> um, Who's, whose idea was that? Well, I think it really came about only because we didn't have an alternate name, right. and <laughs> and and I think like we had some pressing deadline. I can't remember if it was. It must have been a concert we had years ago where they really needed our title for the concert yeah. program. And we spent like weeks thinking about asking advice and it was either going to be the Metcalf Boyd duo, which is right. our respective last yeah. names. Yeah, and it's also fairly, like it's not that memorable. Right. You know, it's, it's totally fine. It's very perfunctory. But then the other alternative was Boyd meets girl. Yeah. And it is, it is funny. When we announce ourselves in concert, often half the audience groans and half the audience laughs. Right. You know, so, <laughs> but they all if, remember it, right? Well, if anything, it is, it is memorable. So, so yeah. that's, that's what we do like about it. And I, I think uh, it's, it's also... Um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's, it's unusual for for a classical group, right? Yeah, you know, we, we have we have all these serious names and, and very, you know, kind of starchy and, you know, but this is fun and playful and, and silly, you know, and, yeah. and whimsical even, you know, and, and, and that's the, you know, we, that those aren't things that we uh, often associate with, with the, the, you know, the classical, the typical classical music culture, you know, so I think it's- Sure, and it that's- and that... you know? And that is for better or for worse. Yeah. Because I do think often people will assume with a name like ours that we're a, like a singer-songwriter group or a folk group. <laughs> and and no, wouldn't, we're yeah, wouldn't, classical musicians, we promise. <laughs> well, exactly. They wouldn't expect that we've spent 30 years practicing our instruments to be able to play Bach fugues and things right, because yeah, we're called yeah. Boy Meets Girl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a whole other topic of branding. But yeah, we, we feel like it has, it has been a bit of a disservice to us at times, but yeah. sort of still weighing up, I think maybe the fact that it is more memorable does go in our, right. in our favor. Sure, sure, sure. And are you guys doing all your management yourself? We actually, we have an agent uh, in oh, Long great. Island. Yeah, an Excellent. agent called Arts, Arts 28. Okay. Um, yeah, they're just a general, general classical music, especially like smaller chamber groups. Yeah. Yeah, and so we actually, we signed on with them sort of just, just before the pandemic. Okay, so it's relatively, <laughs> relatively new for you. Yeah, well, yeah. it feels very fresh, even though it was, what, two and a half years ago, yeah. <laughs> we had lots of time to communicate about things, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, you know, I've, I've heard tell two people say often that, you know, when you get management, you know, your first year anyway, you know, if you if you get a couple of gigs, that's a good year, you know, because you're spending that time kind of working the relationship out, making sure that all the materials are in place and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you know, it, it, it worked out for you, I guess, to have have the time to do all Ind that. Indeed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess we, we started off as a duo, well, actually, the truth of the story is we started off by dating each other. Right. You know, often, often you see these duos and they start playing music <laughs> together and find they enjoy doing more than playing music together. But, <laughs> but for us, actually, yeah, we started dating uh, about 10 years ago. Okay. And, and, you know, the, the story that we tell is that at the time we didn't see each other very much because Laura was going off and playing a lot of different chamber music <laughs> with her ensembles. I was going off and doing solo things. I also have a guitar duo. And so often we'd go like, you know, a weeks without seeing each other and then we'd yeah. see each other for a couple of days and then we'd see each other again. And one day we're like, why don't we 
play some music together and book <laughs> some concerts been, together. How, how long have you been dating before you played together? Uh, I, we did like a few just like performances at house concerts where we just played a right. few pieces pretty early on. Okay. Um, but I think our first actual performance might have been at least six months. Wow. Okay. After dating. Because <laughs> I think we well, neither of us really wanted to put in a huge amount of effort if we weren't sure that the relationship was going to work out, you know. <laughs> Didn't want to prepare like a whole program together and then suddenly be like, well. <laughs> I've got to go play a concert with my ex. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But no, from the get-go, like things, things in the relationship went really well. Yeah. And yeah, and we thought like, let's, let's, work out a program together, see if we can get some concerts together. And that way yeah. we can actually travel and spend some time together. And, and, you know, and cello and guitar, like is a it's fantastic. Really, it's a really great combination. It's fantastic. It's, I was going to ask you how, uh, like how many standing guitar cello duos do you know in the world? I can't think of one. You know, there, there uh, seem to be emerging a lot. Okay. I would say if you asked me that question, what, 10 years ago, I'd be really hard pressed to name. <laughs> um, but yeah, but nowadays I feel I feel like they're all over the place, and okay. and and the repertoire seems to be expanding. Um, yeah, yeah. So and I think people are cottoning on that it is like a really yeah. really good duo. And for for me as professional guitarist, I feel like I've played with basically every instrument you can name, like over the yeah. years, all voice types, all string types, <laughs> you know, a little bit of brass here and there, percussion. Yeah. Um, and but we're like with guitar and flute, guitar and violin, there's just so much great repertoire. And then guitar right. and cello, it's a really like limited amount yeah, of yeah. like just top level repertoire. So that's been a challenge. And and I and I do always wonder like why haven't more composers over the years written for guitar and cello? Sure. I think one of the biggest challenges is the balance. Right. Yeah, like yeah. if we're gonna get the bad stuff out of the way first, it is it is hard. Like with with guitar and flute, I feel like the the two instruments are set of such different timbres, right? They're and different yet. registers yeah. that yeah. even if the flute player is playing really loudly, the guitar part is still, still heard. The guitar, yeah, sure. Whereas you know our our Laura's and my relationship is often on thin ice when I'm like, love, can you please just keep it down a little bit? <laughs> Have, I'm playing. Have, have, you had, have you had the experience? Because it, this has happened to me a couple of times with with a, a few different instrumentalists, where they say, "You know, I really like playing with guitar because I feel like I don't have to play so freaking loud all the time." You know, and and I think other you know other situations that those instrumentalists often are in, you know, they just feel like they're fighting to to be heard. You know, playing against piano or in you know like in larger ensembles that, with really loud instruments. And I've I've had a number of other instruments. And instrumentalists tell me like I love playing with guitar because I don't have to do that I can actually play quietly you know interesting my wife doesn't say that too often <laughs> <laughs> well maybe we can, we can, think, we can you know you, you know play, well, play I, that seed <laughs> I no I think well I think it's I think it's just such a challenge I, I have had other instrumentalists over the years yeah. saying that they love exploring the entire range of pianissimo dynamics yeah sure like, like flute <laughs> players like I love playing guy, the <laughs> that's what yeah. we do <laughs> yeah but i think with cello like it's it, laura always feels that she's having to like really hold back in a disappointing way like i feel like she she always wants to you know play something loudly and just like put her foot on the gas and really 
blow the notes out of the water and i'm just like yeah. like love i really just i can't play that loud. Oh, that's funny <laughs> <laughs> and the uh the other thing i think that's challenging with with cello is 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 range you know so much of the the voice of the instrument is similar to the voice of the guitar in, turn, in terms of frequency exactly right? yes so, yes and so you're both I was going to say is yes, both uh, volume of the cello, but also the fact that we are often just in that same range, yeah. that it is sort of really hard to, to differentiate the two parts. Yeah. But, but that said, the, the positive side, I should also dwell on the positive sides a bit, <laughs> is that the cello has such a huge range that the cello does, can be yeah. playing really high. Yeah. Um, the cello also, to me, always mimics the human voice, the best right. out of all instruments. Absolutely. And so we can and we do just like steal so much repertoire yeah. like all the vocal music just if it can be if the piano part or the, the accompaniment part can be played on guitar yep. it can work on guitar and cello yep. and then for me also personally i love too that the cello can play the bass line yeah and so like when i've played with flute players or especially when i played with singers they're never yeah. going to sing the bass line no. you know? <laughs> <laughs> they're only ever going to do the they're only, only going to do sure. the main line and i'm going to be stuck doing the accompaniment so it does feel like a much more equitable duo in that right, respect right. yeah do, so, you, so, do, so, do so, you do a lot of arranging yourself for for the, the duo we we do yes so yeah. yeah so when we first started out we like really went through everything that that does exist and right. after you know a couple of a couple of hours or so it didn't didn't take <laughs> us very gone, long yeah. <laughs> yeah we um <laughs> yeah we sort of really figured that you know let's just try arranging and and neither of us are really like seasoned composers or yeah. or seasoned arrangers I've I've over the years always loved you know doing the Albanus arrangements and Granados and making piano pieces uh, adaptable for guitar. Um, but so yeah, over the years we've we've done quite a lot of things. We've done like Bach two-part inventions, yeah. which can Perfect. be awesome. But basically, yeah, we yeah. really play it basically exactly as Bach wrote it. Yeah. Um, occasionally, one of us has to put something either up or down the octave. Right. And you know, when we first played those, we were really concerned that all the pianists would would shout at us, being like, "How are you desecrating <laughs> our music like this?" <laughs> But it's it's funny. They always said we love it because we can so clearly hear the two parts because uh -huh. the instruments have that different attack. It's yeah, so yeah. clear who's doing what. So that was that really sort of uh, buoyed our spirits. Um, and then we also have sort of delved into a little bit of like the I don't want to use the word crossover, but stuff on the, on the fringes of classical music and. And we do have, uh, well, we have an album that came out in 2017, so it's five okay. years old now. On that, it is. It has the bark. It has um, some things like Natali, Zenimon, oh, some yeah. sort of really classical yeah, yeah. things. Sure, sure. Um, but then we also do like a Michael Jackson arrangement. Ooh. We do his Human Nature. Oh yeah. Which um, has been like sort of the runaway success of that album. Neat. And yeah, and and Laura's like really great at being able to you know play vocal lines and especially sort of get into that sort of the nuance of of the rock and roll sort of vocal lines. Yeah. So she does a really sort of uh, wonderful job on that track, and Fun. and yeah, and sort of really like the guitar and cello, we can adapt ourselves to anything. Yeah. So I mean, maybe a good opportunity to mention the brand new album that. Yeah, we should talk about like that, right? Because I think. Out, I think... I think you. I think you. This episode's probably gonna air uh, on what March twenty fourth, and the recording comes out on March twenty fifth. Is that? That's that's it. Yes. That's yeah, fantastic. So, probably, probably so tell us time. about the recording. 
Well, it's yes, it's coming out March 25th on the Sono Luminous label. It's okay. a wonderful Grammy award-winning label. They're based in Boise, Virginia. Actually, okay. Boise, Boise, Boise. I'm not actually probably sure Boise. Yeah, <laughs> I've been there a few times, and I should really know. <laughs> but it's it's this incredible setup. They have a beautiful old consecrated church in this town of population what's 712 people or 700 people so yeah and so you have this sort of ideal situation um yeah i've also recorded an album in london with the same situation and it's just ideal you on the first day you set up your mics and then you have like three or four days just to go in every day and and spend these sort of long days recording and you have the benefit of the church acoustics like Uh there's nothing better for me than to be sitting there playing and having the sound come back be just this wonderful rich reverberant yeah. sound rather than feeling like you know it's just falling on the floor as they do in a <laughs> recording studio and that combined with the idea of it being a very quiet town that there's True. few few distractions you know you're right. not going to step outside and and have all the exciting fun things to do yeah. or, or <laughs> ferraris driving down the street making noises as, as you're there <laughs> Yeah, so that so that was um, that's that's the wonderful venue that we recorded it at, but it's it's a real mixed bag of repertoire. Our debut album was just called Boy Meets Girl, self-titled okay. album. This one is called Songs of Love and Despair, and it's an interesting mix of repertoire. It's um, we had the idea to record an album in our heads before the pandemic, and then. Okay. Sort of that, we, and we knew we were going to plan an album in the next year or so, but we hadn't sort of really laid the groundwork for what pieces. Sure. And then suddenly the pandemic hit, and like we feel really fortunate that we had a secure housing environment. We had each other. We had our young son with us. Um, our supermarket mostly had food. <laughs> um, and then we had a lot of time and four walls around us, and. So what we really Something did, to do. <laughs> yeah. well, honestly, the, the majority, the overwhelming majority of our time was looking after our son. Yeah, sure, <laughs> of course. We started off the pandemic as this little baby and now is a fully fledged toddler running around, oh, you know, having full on conversations. <laughs> but so that, that was like the majority of our time, but he would nap pretty pretty regularly not all the time but pretty regularly for an hour and a half two hours every day and that time was our time to work together nice. and and every day we'd sit down and and obviously this has been such a crazy time for everybody yeah it's you know it's been a really tough time for everybody and so we just we played the repertoire that we wanted to play yeah and so some of it is just like this really beautiful music, music that just made us feel better. And one of those pieces like is the Debussy Arabesque number one. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah. yeah, originally this solo piano piece and, and you listen to it and it's, it's just so peaceful. It feels like, like sunbeams, like shining down on you. And, and one day Laura just said, hey, I think we could make this work on cello and guitar. And so every day during our son's nap time, we just sat down and worked out like who would play the melody, who would play the, the accompaniment and how can we make this work? And so we have that. And then on the sort of the darker side, we have Messian's Praise to the Eternity of Jesus. Wow. And it was it was written when he was a prisoner of war during yeah. the Second World War. Um, originally for piano and cello. It's okay. for any any listener who doesn't know it, um, obviously feel free to listen to our recording or, or go back and listen to the original <laughs> version for cello and piano. And it's just knowing the circumstances, it's just this such an incredible piece yeah where the 
piano or what as I do on the guitar just plays block chords okay. where they're written as 16th notes but uh the metronome marking is 16th note equals it's like 42 or 44 wow yes so, <laughs> so it's just incredibly slowly and then the cello has these long long lines and praise to the eternity of Jesus just this idea of these just incredibly s- slow <laughs> slow moving lines you take that I'm gonna Okay, so you were talking about uh, the Mess I Am and the, the 16th notes at uh, 16, what did you say, 16th or 40? 16th equals, yeah, 42 or 44 or so. Wow. And then, yeah, and then over the top of that, you have just these incredibly beautiful long cello lines. And yeah, and yeah praise to the eternity of Jesus. It's just this sense that time is moving just so incredibly slowly and differently. Yeah. And the chords just kind of really crunchy at times, these really sort of darkly dissonant chords. But then at the end, you know, you end on this E major chord. Right. And it's kind of just suddenly, (laughs) yeah, it's just this sense of of hope. Yeah. And you can only imagine like what what he was going through, being in this prisoner of war camp, writing for the three other musicians that were in the camp with him. Supposedly, supposedly he wrote it on the piano that was missing a key i think it's like a g sharp somewhere so throughout the entire piece there's never that g sharp wow. <laughs> no, just, just that oh. incredible idea of, of writing under yeah. adversity and what and what he would come up with yeah and and obviously he wanted to be transcribed for guitar he would not have ended it on an e major chord i mean well <laughs> it, it is it is funny it's um it works so well actually a, a friend of mine made the arrangement years ago for um saxo, uh, soprano saxophone and guitar Okay. And so he sort of took his, his guitar version for that. He changed very, very little, like really Amazing. revoiced just a few chords where it went like below the low E on the guitar, yeah. put them up. But otherwise, yeah, basically it fits within the six string E up to the high uh, D on the first string. Fantastic. It all sort of yeah. fits there. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's, it is such an incredible piece. Wow. Um, and then I guess, yeah. And all the other pieces are just things that, we were we were thinking like what is going to either make us have some moment of solace what's going to make us feel better during this time um we also uh, hit upon the robert beezer mountain songs which oh sure yeah anybody who's played with guitar and flute surely knows them well because for the guitarist they're right. a, oh, often yeah. a lot of work standard yeah <laughs> it's a standard and it's it's also yeah, yeah like I devoted a good amount of practice time to those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the flutist can basically sight read their part. Yeah, right. The guitar yeah. is like this little concerto. You're breaking your hand, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we yeah we worked on four of those, and and the funny thing is like really sort of delving into those pieces. I'd I'd played them before in the past, but like really delving into them to the to record them. So there's some really dark stories behind them oh yeah they're they're like yeah these appalachian folk songs and but each one just ends in tragedy and yeah yeah i mean yeah i guess have you been to appalachia (laughs) (laughs) you know i haven't spent enough time there i um i have i've been all over the u.s but uh Yeah. yeah You know, I would. I don't. I don't see it happening anytime in the near future. We'd love to. We'd love to walk the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, it's you know, love to spend, It's absolutely yeah. beautiful. But yeah, there's there's there are some some dark and terrible things that <laughs> that when people wrote music about and then stories and these kinds of things. So yeah. 
Yeah, and it's and it's the same like with like children's songs, like cradle right. songs. These lullabies, <laughs> you know, rockaby baby. You know, if you if you right. read the lyrics of these songs, they're it's awful. <laughs> like, right. Well, just, maybe yeah. there is there's something something in the human psyche about wanting to like <laughs> deliver really dark stories to newborn babies. <laughs> scare them, you know. Tell them, hey, hey, kid, it's not going to get any easier. So you better get used to it now, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, yeah, so and then the rest of the album's just like a real sort of mixed bag of things. There's there's yeah. sort of no underlying theme other than just things that we love and, and everything yeah. does seem to fall into a song of love or a song of despair. Sure. And sure. we have like some boccarini that it just it makes you want to smile. It's just so joyous oh, and uplifting. Okay. Um and then we do a couple of Beatles songs. We do okay. Blackbird and Eleanor Rigby. Great. And both of those, if you if you read a little bit behind the lyrics, they're really yeah. far from happy songs. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so it it like was a you know other than our son a huge sort of preoccupation of ours during the pandemic. Yeah. It really you know gave us something to be like working on. Um, recorded it almost a year ago. Recorded it last yeah. April down in Virginia, okay. and yeah, and so we're like really really excited to have it out there in the world. Yeah. Would love it if people would take a listen. It'll be all over you know Spotify, Apple Music, yeah. YouTube. And yeah, we have is, a new music studio. Second recording together. Yes, yeah. So the first one came out in uh, 2017. Okay. And this is our, our second duo album. Right. And you have some solo albums and you mentioned a guitar duo as well. That's right. Yeah, I've got, um, I guess, three solo albums now. Yes, yeah. the first okay. one uh, I recorded when I was a student at Yale. So oh, my, my second, second year of the Artist Diploma, um, they have a just incredible concert hall there. Seats maybe like four or 500. So it's on the big side for guitar, but just one of those spaces that sounds fantastic. And they've done a huge amount of treatment so that um, it just really sounds great and there are no outside noises. Yeah. <coughs> Pardon me. And um, yeah, and then two other solo recordings, one of which I recorded in London in this like 17th century or 13th century, who remembers oh, these things, fun. but this beautiful old church where <laughs> yeah, went and set up the microphones on Sunday night and recorded through like Thursday morning oh. in, in a town where the only thing in town was a pub. Uh. It was like a, a pub and a church and that's it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, and actually that's, that's also where uh, I recorded my guitar duo album. And okay. so the duo is called the Australian Guitar Duo. Okay, and who, um, who's the other guitarist? The other guitarist is Jacob Cordova. And it's funny, we, we, we are both Australian. We both grew up in Australia. But at this stage, it's you know over 15 years since either of us have actually lived in Australia. <laughs> so yeah, I've been in New York the whole time. Jacob uh, was in Germany for a little bit. And then okay. for the past like 10 plus years, has been in Spain, in Barcelona. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, and sadly, I mean, a part of the pandemic, we haven't seen each other right. at all. It's hard, hard in, to rehearse that, that way. <laughs> it, it's exceedingly hard. <laughs> and also, yeah, I mean, like, when, I think when our son was born, when Laura's and my son was born, suddenly the idea of going off to Spain for three weeks just it's it's much more challenging like oops <laughs> yeah <laughs> well like, that's the thing like with with the australian guitar duo in in years past when we were both you know much freer in our lives we did go off and do some really fun wild adventures like yeah we've toured all throughout the united states and canada and china jacob um i presume he's not doing it at this current point but was doing a lot of cruise ship work too okay. where we did a couple of cruises one it left from brooklyn it went down to the caribbean for 10 days and back to brooklyn 
And oh, we, we would be like the guest entertainers where we'd get up and play like literally just a handful of concerts throughout those yeah. 10 days. And the rest Fun. of the time we're treated as guests. That sounds yeah. great. <laughs> and another, yeah, the other, the other time can, we went. Can I get a phone number for those? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, it really was such an, an ideal gig. Um, the other one we did was New York to Hamburg. Oh, and wow. so we spent, was it eight days from New York? And our first port of call was in Southampton in London. Oh, I remember wow. thinking it just took us eight days to get here. We could have flown here in six hours. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's how they used to do it, yeah. <laughs> exactly. and the, the, it, was, it was a really, really fun experience. So we used to have a lot, a lot of fun adventures like that. Um, but yeah, we're sort of both a little more grown up and a little more mature and have mortgages and, and kids and things to, to keep us off the streets a little bit more. <laughs> did, did, now, did you know each other in, in Australia? Yeah, so we met because okay. we were both uh, in the same undergraduate program gotcha. together okay. in the same year, yeah, stu yeah. studying with Tim Kaine. Um, and and oh, sorry, I probably should say we feel like we have some right to call ourselves the Australian guitar <laughs> duo in that we play a lot of Australian repertoire. Okay, there you um, go. All right. Yeah, There's and, a, and, for, that, and for any... Fine. You're ambassadors. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and for any uh, guitar duos out there who are looking for repertoire, the Australian composers are writing some of the best stuff. Oh, yeah. Really awesome. I mean, people probably know like Songs from the Forest by Nigel Westlake. Mm -hmm. Such an incredible, it's like a continuous piece. It's got like short little movements, but they're all attacker yeah. and it's like what, seven or eight minutes long. It, to me, it's one of the like best pieces written for guitar in the past you know, uh, decades. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Phil Houghton, Philip Houghton, who sure, I'm sure of course. a lot of your listeners yeah, yeah. know his works. He's got three brilliant duos. They're all incredibly different from each other. So on our album, we have uh, two of those. One's called Three Duets. Okay. The other one's called Brolga. Um, and they're both just, he was such a, a genius. Like he had just yeah. this, such a unique sound. Also, I love too, his scores. If anybody's uh, just interested in seeing yeah. beautiful calligraphy, he hand wrote really? all, of, all of his scores are handwritten. Amazing. He, um, he sadly died just a handful of years ago, but he, on his website, you can buy all, I think all of his um, scores in their sort of facsimile editions. Wow. Um, and he obviously, put a lot of time and effort into making these yeah. just like beautifully handwritten scores huh did, did yeah, you ever meet him i did a number of times yeah. i you know i regret that i didn't spend more time with him yeah um but yeah i have some really fun memories he he was up in sydney when i was living in canberra okay. so um had a few lessons with him and like he would have these lessons that would go for hours Love it. You know, none of this like 59 minutes and you're out the door yeah. it was, it's like you'd sit down and then like suddenly like nightfall would happen and he was sure. like oh actually this has been three and a half hours time to <laughs> time to go home um but yeah and just just a really incredible guy he also a wonderful painter too like a really just artist in general yes our, huh. the cover the cover of our australian guitar duo album is one of his artworks oh fantastic it's called equus uh howling at the moon it's this okay. little uh, old horse type character <laughs> yeah. just looking up at the moon. Yeah, and so he was he was a brilliant, huh. brilliant composer that we sort of really have, have loved playing his works around the world. And and often, you know, to audiences in North America, people haven't haven't heard these works very very often, if at all. Sure. Yeah. And so yeah. So and even though we I, weren't you know, based I, as 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 I understand it from what you know, people few people I've talked to there's there's quite a happening guitar scene going on in, in Australia and, and it's it's intense and it's very active and there's a lot of great playing going on, a lot of great music being written, but it's, is it, is it just that it's, 
isolated and, and people are there doing their thing and not not getting out in the world or what's what's the story <laughs> there what do you think it is it is funny because I mean, Australia, yeah, it is a little isolated. There's a classic quote from an Australian prime minister in the 1980s. He said, of course, Australia is centrally located. It's 24 hours from everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> there is just this sense to, to, and that's, I think, why I'd sort of never traveled out of Australia until I had a one-way ticket to come and live in New York yeah. City. It's, I mean, obviously, Southeast Asia is really not that far away, right. but you can't, you can't drive across a border. You can right. drive for... <laughs> a hundred hours and you're still in Australia. <laughs> so it's like completely different from Europe and it's completely different from being able to drive up to Canada and things like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I'm, I'm asked that question all the time. Like why is there such a good guitar scene in Australia? And the, the answer is, I don't know. Like, I, I wish, <laughs> I wish I could like just put my finger on it. I think, yeah. I think that in some ways, like Australians have a really good work ethic. Like okay. if Australians, like if they're intent on doing something, we really, we, we go out there and we do it. Sure. Um, also, I mean, I think, I think it's a confluence of things. I think there are incredible guitar makers in Australia. Yeah. That's, that's a big, a big sort of part of it. Like obviously Greg Smallman started making his guitars in 1980. Yeah. And there's just been this huge explosion of like just brilliant world-class guitar makers who are yeah. either copying his designs or doing their own different thing. Um, obviously all the wonderful composers and then some brilliant teachers, obviously Tim Kane that I mentioned, but also yeah. some really other great teachers throughout the country. But yeah, I, I, I don't have a better explanation I mean, for it. Is, is there, you know, I, John Williams is Australian, but you know, you think of, he, he worked mostly in, in Great Britain, right? I mean, he was, did, did he really, was, was he part of the Australian scene much? It is funny, like he does very much identify as Australian. Yeah. Um, I read his biography that came out a few years ago. I believe he left Australia at the age of eight. Yeah, didn't ever and went back. Went back to, he, he's, <laughs> I don't believe he's ever like lived there permanently okay. for any sense yeah. of time. But I mean, obviously, birth through eight are pretty formative years, and he has, right. you know, he has an Australian twang to his accent. Yeah. Um, but I guess, I mean, people probably are starting to question the same thing about me too. Like, in, <laughs> yeah, and in a couple of years, I will get to that point where I've been in New York for as long as I was in Australia. Sure, sure. Um, and the first handful of years in Australia, I don't remember. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm really at that sort of tip. I've got much, many more memories from you, New York. You still too. have the accent though. So yeah, I think, I think it's still valid, you know? <laughs> Still have the accent, still and I still, I still have the passport, you know. <laughs> That's the thing. I only have an Australian passport, so in that way, oh like I do, yeah, I do very much feel like an Australian living in New York City, even though like my sort of permanent roots kind of are here. Yeah. Um. And and obviously in non-pandemic times, get back to Australia once a year or so. Okay, all, I was going to ask that. Yeah, yeah. All, all my family is in Australia. Actually, my brother moved to New Zealand a handful of years ago. Okay. Australia, Australia adjacent. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and in, in sort of previous years, I would go back once every year on average, generally go back and try and play a handful of concerts so I could okay. always, like see yeah, yeah. friends and family throughout the country. Sure. Um, also, you know, make enough money to be able to cover the flights to get yeah. there. <laughs> nice, yeah. yeah. All that. Um, but yeah, but we're coming up, it's been, what, over two years, two and a half years since I was last oh my there. Gosh. Yeah, uh, my son's- Has your son been? Well, that's he celebrated his first birthday in Sydney. Oh, I remember we've got this great, great photographs of him at the aquarium with a you know massive great white shark just oh, inches yeah. from his head. <laughs> Very but yeah, cool. but he has he hasn't been back out since, wow. and he's three and a half years old now. So, Ugh. 
you know, I feel sad for my parents who haven't I've seen me or or seen you know seen their grandson yeah. in all that time. We are like it's looking hopeful you know let's not even get started talking on eastern europe you know but looking hopeful that with the pandemic aspect that we can travel back there soon yeah. it's the other complicated thing about australia it's always hard to find a window of time right that you know you can fly you up to canada casually, for a weekend you know, i mean you have to go halfway across the planet yeah it's yeah. literally it, ta- it takes literally 24 hours of flying to get there yeah like um so it's like always been like 36 hours door to door to get wherever i'm going and then several days to get over the jet lag (laughs) so yeah i always feel like a two-week trip is like the bare minimum to get to australia we're looking at hopefully going in like july or maybe august this year excellent for yeah for three three or three and a half weeks or so will you play uh to be determined it's just I mean, as with everything the past two years, it's just been this like kind of general pause. And right. anytime I reach out to people and air, say, yeah, yeah. let's say like, you know, can we possibly come play a concert? Everyone's like, well, check back in with us in a few months. Right. We don't want to, say... but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, nobody knows what's going to happen at any point in time. So it's really hard to plan for anything. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and Australia obviously had a very different trajectory for, for yeah. the pandemic than, than most of the world because they really closed the borders. Yep. It, like I, we could have gone back to Australia under a lot of effort. Like for yeah. much of the time, there were borders where you would have had to have spent two weeks in a hotel room with like security My guards goodness. at the doors. Wow. Yeah. And really locking down the borders. And for most of the pandemic, they lived without the virus. Right. You know, there were like a dozen cases a day in all the major yeah. cities. That's right. 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 Um, it's almost like things... we know how these things transmit from one person to another. And we right. can actually do something about it if we choose to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the downside too, though, being like no one could leave and, and it was really hard to right. get in and all that. So, yeah, yeah. so I haven't, haven't seen my family uh, there in, yeah. in two and a half years. Like really fortunately, um, my sister has also a young kid too. And we met up in Hawaii in January oh. of 2020. So yeah, so it's still been it's now over two years since we've met, but we've just just before everything sort of shut down, we spent this sort of wonderful ten days at this exact halfway point between Australia and New York City, which there you go. is you know Hawaii, which is such Paradise. a magical place to go. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. So do you have do you have any plans coming up um, for any more solo recordings? Is that is that something that that's uh, on your horizon or? You know, let let this new album come out first. <laughs> it is. It's. I mean, it's. It's always taken just so, so much, much, so work. much effort. It's so and, much work. You know, I I think about this so much when in, it happens to me with not infrequent rel, rel, uh, you know times. They'll be walking down the street, and just the other day on Sixth Avenue downtown, I saw a trash can on the street filled with. <laughs> Beethoven recordings by you know, Karyan conducting all these like just the best classical recordings you can oh, think of just no. in a trash can on the street because nobody wanted them oh, and no. every time I see that I'm thinking how many like countless hours went into that recording <laughs> <laughs> so like for me like I've always felt like it's just such an experience to make an album yeah. both the preparation but also in post-production Everything, even like, yeah. like it, I love getting into like the, the nitty-gritty it takes forever, but I love the nitty gritty of of album covers, and yeah. and we are doing physical CDs for this new album. I was yeah, I was going to ask about that too. The you know that's something that that nowadays like 
I think about all the time. It's like, well, what? It, I mean, I, I'm going to continue to record, you know, I, like that's that's what I do. But yeah, it, like, why, why, why am I making CDs? What's, what, what is that for? You know, they make wonderful <laughs> drink coasters. <you> know? <laughs> No, I mean, for me, I I do love having something physical. Like I would, yeah, I would love course. to make yeah. a vinyl. Yeah, vinyl would be a dream, but that's just a whole other like expense. Right. It really is. You have to get it remastered for vinyl. It's much more expensive than just yeah. manufacturing a few hundred CDs. But I love like the tangible nature of physical CDs. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Like we spent you know, a good amount of time writing liner notes. Right. Like just talking about like what we love about these pieces. Yeah. And you can, I, I believe like iTunes will have the liner notes that you can download, but it's right. still. When's the last time me, you read any liner notes from iTunes? I don't yeah. know that I, mean, I literally ever exactly. have. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, they're there. I, 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 have, I, have, I have digital liner notes up on, on my recordings. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody has ever read them <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> but it's different when you're sitting there listening and you have a thing in your hand and you know it's it's a much different different experience all the way around so yeah exactly and i i personally do buy cds not not nearly as often as i used yeah. to i i pay i pay what 15 dollars a month for apple music and yeah. i use that for the majority of time but if there's an album that i really like i will buy the physical album yeah. mainly for the ritual of it and you know i'm still working yeah, on sure. on the wife to see if i can convince her that we need a turntable <laughs> i would love to <laughs> i would love to get a turntable like I, I showed you before i have a typewriter which doesn't get used very often but um, <laughs> yeah, you can, but you can I, sit and listen to vinyl and type letters to type people. out a letter. <laughs> but there is something about the ritual of it that that i guess when i'm listening to something on apple music i'll often get two tracks in and the thought will come to my head and i'll change to something else yeah and i won't sort of listen to it but if i get up uh -huh. and put a cd on i'll generally listen to the entire yeah. 60 minutes sure. of the cd sure and and i do love the physical nature and like my son will always ask to look at the physical cover and you know you can show him the phone if it's on apple music but to show him the cover yeah anyway i i say all of this just because we spent this a lot of time in post-production <laughs> on the cover right. and and i feel like really proud of how it looks and hand the liner notes and we're sort of yeah, I just I, I I love the physical nature of yeah. something and and plan to I'll happily send you a copy in the mail if you'd like one. Oh yeah, just because well, I, I love the idea. Yeah. Sure, please, yeah. But yeah. I love the idea that like people will see it in their bookshelf and be like, okay, right. I haven't listened to that in a while. I'll listen to it. Whereas, yeah. like it's it's rare that I'll be sitting there and just randomly flick through something on Apple Music. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, and, I, have... and I th I think I think too the experience is different because you know I th I, th I think about when I was younger. And, and, you know, telling people about recordings, like, hey, oh, gosh, have you heard this? I bought this recording. It's fantastic. And, and I don't do that anymore, you know? And it's not mm. that I don't listen to music, but, like, I don't, with the digital thing, it's just, it's, you know, it's so easy. It's just you hit the thing on the phone or whatever, and there it is, and you listen to it. Yeah, that's great. It'd be, but, you know, it doesn't have that same kind of, like, I don't know excitement about having the thing and you know like i'm gonna tell somebody uh, why why do i need to tell them about it because they just downloaded it too you know it's like it's, right. it's, it's very strange you know well that's the thing i would i would love people to tell me about albums to listen to yeah. like i'm always looking for new things to listen to but people yeah. do tell me about it and i forget about it yeah. you know but if, <laughs> my memory my memory's not of what what it once was but if right. someone like physically gives me a cd i yeah. would 
put it in the bookshelf and you know sometimes it takes me a year but i'll get around to listening. it's there to it. though you see Eventually. it yeah i, I know yeah and, I, I, have to, I have that pile actually i'm looking at it right now <laughs> <laughs> and i love that too for christmas too you know sure. giving somebody a cd that i you know i think that they will like i hope that they will like it <laughs> And, you know, I still do it with my parents because I know they have a CD player. But all my other friends, I feel like they're not, they're not going to be able to play it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, yeah. And, and hmm. you know, and, and then for me too, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not very savvy when it comes to things of, of business nature in general and marketing and all of that, you know. But I'm, I can't get a handle on, on how to make business work in, in, in that context you know i mean all, all my stuff's out there on the spotify and and, and itunes and everything and, and i get the little report that says i made you know a fraction of a cent for how many thousands of plays that there were and you know and i just yeah. I, th I think i'm just scratching my head constantly saying well what do i do with this like i mean i'm gonna keep making the music right i'm gonna just keep doing it. i'm gonna keep but like it like where where's the model where is the the idea you know for how to make that work and, and, and getting your head wrapped around that. And I think a lot of people just, you know, well, hey, let's try this. Well, okay, well, how, you know, how's that working? I don't know. How's it working for you? You know, it's that seems to be the sense that I get about all of that for me. And, and, and I, you know, I, it makes me feel really old, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so you, you've just opened an entire can of worms of things we can talk about. I'm just, just seeing how much time we have left. <laughs> but it, it is crazy. And, and I think about this all the time. If you said to a business person, I'm going to spend an X amount of dollars to record an album to make back Y amount of dollars from streams, the business person would look at you and just be like, where's the business? This right. isn't a business. This, <laughs> nothing about this is the definition of a business. It's, it's oh, totally crazy. And yeah. and I I do remember like going back to the Australian guitar duo. Our album came back came out in 2012. Actually, yeah, it was 10 years okay. ago. Basically, to the day we did a concert tour of Australia. We sold enough CDs on that tour to pay for the recording of the album. Nice. Like we sold like hundreds and hundreds of CDs. Like yeah. we did, it was a yeah, big yeah. tour, and we did some nice venues and. And so, so there, it was possible to make, you know, thousands of dollars. Sure. And, and like with this new album that we have coming out, it was expensive. Like it's yeah, it's from, not cheap. From, yeah. From the beginning, yeah. And and obviously in this day and age, you can record an album pretty cheaply. Like I know a yeah. lot of people are buying microphones, and you can record it at home and get a, a really good sound and put it out on CD Baby for like mm -hmm. forty nine dollars, and it's out yep. there on Spotify. But um. But we, you know, we really wanted to use this Sony Luminous Studio and this wonderful yeah. producer that we'd worked with in the past, and everything really sort of adds up. And I don't know that we'll ever recoup the costs right. from recording the album. I mean, fortunately for us, we have some benefactors, some donors who, yeah. you know, I think they all took. I mean, every, everybody took pity on the musicians during the pandemic <laughs> because we were all unemployed for so long. Yeah. So fortunately, we we got some some private funding from a handful yeah. of people to be able to to record the album, sure. and not not be sort of completely out of pocket for it. Sure. But but just yeah, I mean, the, there is so there's no no way to make money from it it's yeah. it's so funny but but i will continue to do it because i mean as, as long as i can as long as i can raise the required funds because it's such, it's such a good artistic project sure, sure there is nothing like 
a full like 60 minutes of music yeah. that you've recorded over a few days that you've worked on for months and months if not years to create yeah. this sort of artistic product um and i feel like really proud this will be my sixth album coming out and i feel like sort yeah. of really proud of all of them and feel that they are all artistic sort of statements sure sort of you yeah. know whether they actually say something of with a message of any kind but they're <laughs> you know they're, they're a collection of pieces that yeah. have meant something like really deeply to me at the time and probably yeah. still well, I think that's important. You know, I, I mean, I, I think it's it's it's, uh, it, it's that whole thing. Claire Callahan at uh, University of Cincinnati, mm -hmm. she used to say, you know, art doesn't make money; art makes art. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and that's okay. I think that's that's okay. We have to be okay with that. And, and uh, you know, and, and and art is 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 valuable. I would argue that maybe art is more valuable than money. And and you know, let's 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 go with that. <laughs> yeah, I and mean, there is a great Kurt Vonnegut quote. Being like, being in the arts is not a way to make a living. <laughs> and he goes on with some other things, but, but he's like, it, it, does, it does make the day more enjoyable. Yeah. And, or does make it better. And, you know, I don't really want to touch on Eastern Europe just because it's just so atrocious. It's yeah. awful. But, you know, with musicians, we sit around all day. Hopefully, you know, we are teaching or we're playing gigs or we're playing concerts right. or making recordings. All of these things make society better. Yeah. These are all things that, you know, just may bring beauty to the world. And you turn on the news and it's just like, how can people be doing just such yeah. atrocious things? Right. And it's so hard to, for me to fathom, to get my head around it. But to, to feel like I'm on the other end of the, of the spectrum, that I'm right. at the exact extreme. And, and I can feel proud. I can, you know, at the end of my life, I'll look back and be like, I made the world hopefully, you know, maybe only marginally, fractionally a better place. But right. I did, I brought beauty into the world. And I will sort of, I rest Absolutely. easy every night with that knowledge. Yeah. There we go. So, so that's, that's probably the biggest motivator for me every day to yeah. get out of bed and do a, a career path that's really not a proper <laughs> job. <laughs> No, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely, and it's, it's critical. I think, you know, the, that, that idea of it being kind of a, a counterbalance, it's, it's wonderful. That's a great, that's a great way to look at it, you know, so. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's certainly not for the faint of heart. I mean, no. And I think, I think the past, <laughs> the past two years have, you know, a lot of people have had some really big life revelations and, oh, yeah. and sort of, being a performing classical musician when potentially, I mean, obviously, you know, this is just minor quibbles, you know, a million people died in the United States. Right. This has been such a tragic thing for everybody. But for all of us who had relied upon performing for a living to just have everything shut down overnight, it's, yeah. it's made people really sort of question what we're doing. But, but I still, you know, we fortunately got through it. You know, we applied for unemployment benefits for the first time yeah. in our lives. Right, we right. survived. We've you know, managed to make it work. So I think if if you have the courage to to do a life in the arts, if you can make it work financially, which is really challenging. Like my wife and I, my wife's obviously a freelance cellist. Right. We together living in Manhattan <laughs> trying to raise a son on two freelance musician you know, incomes. It's yeah, it's it's a it's challenge. An adventure. <laughs> but it is an adventure, and that's what I also love about being a musician is that no yeah. two days are the same. Yeah, and 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 certainly in in the pre times and and things do seem to be reopening up. That being able to travel and play concerts and yeah. the guitar has taken me around the world, which yeah. I have to be so thankful. Like literally around the world to to where I'm living from, where I'm born, but right. also 
traveling around the world, like oh, playing concerts in, <laughs> yeah, like tours of India and Nepal and yeah, concerts all throughout the United States and Hawaii. And just like, I, I look back on these memories and, and yeah. feel really, just really lucky and really fortunate that have been able to make this career work out. Absolutely. You know, knock, knocking on a lot of wood here too. <laughs> every, every day is a new challenge, right? <laughs> new adventure, um, yeah. <laughs> a new adventure. Yeah. No, it's anyway. great. I, I think I think that's a that's a fantastic place to wrap it up, um, and and I, I really really appreciate giving you time and and, and talking to us and and uh, best of luck to everything for you and and uh, maybe maybe we'll, we'll we'll cross paths again soon. Cheers. Thanks so much. Why I will be in Ohio in November. Oh, but, that's uh, right. For the, the, gonna, is that the Bowling Green thing? No, I'm going to be, no. um, it's a chamber music series. Okay. Me, I'll, I'll send you all the details. It's in Port yeah. Clinton. Oh, Port Clinton. Port Clinton okay. on, the, on the base of Lake Erie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about, about, about two, two or three hours from here. Not three. Oh, okay. Yeah, about two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. See, my, my geography Almost. is terrible, but... <laughs> Columbus is right smack dab in the center of the state of Ohio, and it's pretty much like two hours everywhere, you know. Okay. So, <laughs> so nowhere, nowhere near the lake. Nowhere near the lake, no. <laughs> but I mean, but not far. <laughs> right on. Great. Well, Rupert, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it, and it was, it was great to get to meet you and to talk to you and to hear about all your, all your stuff. And uh, very exciting, very inspiring, and, and I really appreciate it. Cheers, all the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for having me. This is Carl Wolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Guitar on My Knee podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or Carl Wolwind Guitarist on Facebook.